and we are live hello hello welcome everybody welcome to another episode of strong tea i'm katie i'm vicky and we are so excited to have a wonderful guest with us today talking about a very very important topic before we get into that i'm going to tell you what strong tea is now strong tea if you haven't listened to us before and we hope you have because we've got lots of amazing episodes but strong tea is born out of a love uh, that Vicky and I have for learning more and talking about the topics that matter, things that people tend to shy away from talking about, things that are considered taboo and things that we just feel that people need more educating on because they are important. And today's no exception. So before we get into that, and then before Vicky introduces our wonderful guest and talks about what we're going to be talking about today, I want to know what we are drinking. So Caddy, as our guest, what are you drinking today? Water. Nice. Healthy. H2FDO. Yeah. Clean, clear, detoxing. I like it. Vicky? Yeah. I have got Bird and Bland Snowball Tea, which has got mm. chocolate, coconut, and yeah, it's very nice. You're surely running out know. of that now, aren't you? This is my last tea bag, which is why I'm holding it tight and I am I am savouring every last drop. Well, I, I don't have Bird and Blend today, but I talk about savouring that every last drop. Today, I am drinking one of T2's teas and T2 this week announced that it would no longer be selling teas in the United Kingdom or online. So I've got my little stash of T2 tea and I will be making it last. So today I've gone for loose leaf tea and I've gone for bread and butter pudding. Oh, yes. Yeah, it says, tastes as good as grandma's own recipe. Slurp up this velvety melt-in-your-mouth pudding as wafts of buttery cinnamon mingle with delectable caramel chunks and custard notes. Just like the real deal, it's impossible to say no to seconds. Oh, mate. Mm. That sounds gorgeous. Oh, yeah. That sounds good. You can send me some of those as well. No, it's loose leaf. It's loose leaf tea. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm not a posh bird like you. Posh bird. You can be. You too can be posh like me. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, before we start slinging mud, (laughs) what can I say about the truly remarkable Caddy Thomas? Caddy is the founder and director of Elijah's Hope and founder of Keras Collective. Both were established due to the incredible journey that she's been and continues to be on. And from being the incredibly determined and compassionate mother and caregiver that she is. Um, Elijah's Hope aims to help and support families within the southwest regions of the UK who are facing acute challenges due to child illnesses. And it was established in honour of her son, Elijah Hodges, who has a rare genetic disorder. Carers Collective is an incredible support for carers who are struggling with the physical and mental exhaustion that comes from being a carer. Uh, They provide resources and coaching to empower and support carers, as well as providing the invaluable community for them to join. Maddy is just so incredibly inspiring and has a story of resilience, determination and love that I promise you will not forget. Um, This episode, I think, is going to, yeah, blow people's minds. So... Before I before I completely fangirl hard <laughs> again, um, Paddy, tell us your story. Hello, both of you, um, and thank you for inviting me to be on your podcast. Thank you are you. welcome. You're very welcome. So, my story, born in 1968, on the 23rd of February, um, and... My mother, so my parents, my British, I'm a British UK citizen, born and bred in Abergrumi by um, nature, although I now live in the southwest. And when my mother had me, I think that um, obviously she didn't know that I had the rare genetic um, condition called Apert syndrome. Um, so I think that was probably a shock to the system. But she was also told at the time that I was going to be In those days, so we're talking 1968, nearly 55 years ago, they used the word mentally retarded. So I was labelled mentally retarded. Clearly, I am not. Um, And in these days, you know, um, the word is um, people with severe learning difficulties 
So as you can imagine, a 22-year-old African woman um, who, you know, is in, a, I guess, a foreign land. I don't know how long she'd been here in reality. But I, she had me for a year, and then I think she just thought, I can't, the thought of bringing up a child who was both going to be physically, uh, have physical disabilities and mental disabilities, I think was clearly too much for her to bear. So she up and abandoned me. So I spent two years, a further two years in a hospital for children with found learning disabilities. And then I moved and then I was transferred to a residential children's home called Sunfields Children's Home, which I think is still operating today um, in the Midlands. And there I spent six years there. Obviously, as I was growing up, Beryl the matron thought, hmm, this child, this young lady uh, is clearly mentally okay. And and for, you know, this is not the right place for me to be. So she, I got moved or became under the care of Birmingham Social Services and and I thought, excuse me, I'm just having a hot flush. I'm a woman of a certain age. <laughs> oh, um, <laughs> we embrace that here. You hot we flush did. all over the place. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I became the charge of Birmingham Social Services with the view of being adopted. Um, the adoption fell through because the lady that was going to adopt me, unfortunately, was in a car, you know, quite a serious car accident. So the adoption fell through. I was then fostered out for a couple of years. That broke down, moved back into residential children's home uh, where I spent a further, well, up until the teenage. In my, during my teenage, well, in fact, throughout, the, from, thro throughout most of my life, I had various operations uh, on my skull, hands and feet. Uh, when I was about 16, very headstrong, confident woman, but I still am this day and um, thought well, I'm ready for independence so I moved to um you know when you're when you're raised in uh, children's homes you kind of I, I'm not quite sure well no actually when I think back they don't it, it, you know being uh, there's a couple of things that come out of being raised in a residential children's home I think you lack security of a family unit I think you, well, there's no I think about it. And um, whilst you've got a roof over your head and you've got clothes on your back and you get fed, you know, there's not that love um, that every person needs, basically. You know, we, we need to be loved. We need to feel secure. Um, we need to be wanted uh, as also. And so when I was about 16, I moved into a hostel, which I guess is supposed to prepare you for adulthood but being as I've already said the strong independent woman that I am I thought I had already got the independent skills that I needed to move out of the hostel into a flat declared myself homeless but I wasn't really and got offered a fourth floor council flat in a place called Northfield which is a neighborhood in Birmingham and when I moved in, I thought, hmm, I'm so not ready for independence. So I spent a year kind of, you know, dossing, is the only word I could describe, you know, running up bills, partying, drinking, you know, sex. <laughs> um, yeah, spent a year doing that. And then I moved out and um I moved out of the council flat into a shared house, did some voluntary work for a number of years, um, did some agent, I wanted to become a cook. So I, um, what did I do? Cook, became assistant cook at Quaker College, explored Quakerism, but far too quiet for my liking. <laughs> um, then went to college, became a qualified waitress, and then I worked for 10 years for an organisation called St Basil's, which is a, a charity, registered charity, homeless charity in Birmingham. So I spent five years, um, five years doing direct residential work with homeless young people. And then I moved um, 
and became a receptionist administrator in St. Martin's headquarters and got told off for talking too much. (laughs) 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 On a regular basis, you've been talking too much, but I like talking, it's good. But I also like quiet as well. I'm a bit of a mixed bag. So, yeah, that's kind of my story. Um, I then... Whilst I was working for Set Basils, I fell pregnant with Elijah. And prior to falling pregnant, the circumstances weren't great. You know, as a born again Christian, you're not supposed to have sex out of my back. You're not supposed to have sex outside of marriage. Indeed, loved it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> fell pregnant. That went down like a lead brick, obviously, with church. Um, but you know, my attitude at the time um, was that my unborn child wasn't responsible for the circumstances to which he came about. And so I wasn't going to walk around or be miserable about being pregnant. In fact, I was over the moon, happy, joyous. Um, just the thought of bringing a child into the world. Oh, it was just, it was just... Yeah, it was just incredible. Um, and I would say that Elijah, um, despite what's happened to him in his life, during his lifetime to date, is a happy, fairly happy, placid, contented young man. I could call him a boy anymore. He's a young man. Um, so, yeah, and so I had Elijah. Um, and, yeah, it's been... An interesting journey, parenthood, motherhood. Mm. So yeah. up until that point, I mean, you have ha- you'd ha- you've been through the care system, the foster system. You had experienced all of these things even before you became a carer. Mm-hmm. Yes. Do you think that prepared you in some way? Um, I don't know. I think, I think, I think our what happens to us as human beings. I think the whole, I think the whole, you know, the upbringing, having to almost, um, I don't know what the word is. I guess I've always had to kind of. Is it it resilience? I think I think I've always had to. I think when you're when you've got a physical disability, you kind of always have to show, communicate um, that whilst I've got a disability, it's not it doesn't define me. Mm. That's the right word. I think mm. it's that it's that sense of you know I'm always I'm always intrigued by by other by, by other when I'm, you know, obviously I kind of, I, I spend, uh, 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 I spend, because of what I do, I do spend time obviously with other parent carers, carers, and I'm always fascinated about how they introduce their child. So they'll say, you know, I am, I am Sue, and, you know, my child is named, is called Adam, and he has autism or Asperger's or ADHD. But that doesn't tell us about him or mm. her as a character, as a human being. So when I introduce mm. Elijah, I always say Elijah, you know, is a nearly 60-year-old. No, he's nearly 70. You know, he's nearly 70 years of age. He likes women with big boobs. He likes <laughs> he's a real flirt. You know, <laughs> he likes women with blonde hair. He's got a really dry sense of humour. However... He has, you know, and then I'll like give a snapshot of his um help some of his healthcare needs, and so I think the whole of my life has prepared me for um being a full time carer. I would say. So just backtracking um to your pregnancy, yeah. did you know at this point? that Elijah had Apert syndrome. Were you told that during your pregnancy? Yes. So just prior to falling pregnant or becoming pregnant, I 
I had a couple of appointments with genetics consultant um, and they did various tests and they said, yes, you have the APER gene. So if you ever fall pregnant, there's a 50-50 chance that your, your unborn child will have the condition. So as soon as I felt, as soon as I found out I was pregnant, I was right straight on the phone to the genetics team saying, right, I'm pregnant. What do we need to do to establish whether or not my boy, my baby, I always wanted a boy, don't know why, but I just wanted a boy. Um, and so, yes, so I so I had conversations with them and they could have done various tests like this. I don't know what it's called. You know, the Am Amniocentesis. Oh, yeah, amniocentesis. Yeah. yeah. That one, um, often there's a risk of miscarriage and I went, no way, I'm not having that there because I'm having, I'm having this baby regardless. Yeah. Mm. So, so I'm mentally repaired or I was mentally repaired prepared as I can be when he when he's born. And so, so yeah. right. And so tell us what happened about when he was born and what came next. So he was born on the 24th of March 2006 at 1233. <laughs> um, my waters, I obviously I was uh, under the fetal medicine team at Birmingham Women's Hospital who were absolutely brilliant. Towards the end of my pregnancy, I was carrying out fluid, so I was admitted. They had to drain some fluid off. I was one of these women that was kind of thought, oh, I have a baby, and my body would just zoom, zoom back to normal, and I'll just carry on. Oh, how long I was. Oh, right, right there with you, sister, <laughs> yeah. right there with you. Yep. <laughs> oh. um, so, yes, yeah, so Elijah was born um Birmingham Women's Hospital, and um he... Obviously, he had apert, cleft of the soft palate, and a heart murmur, which, which were his three diagnoses. The hospital, I spent two weeks at Birmingham Women's Hospital, primarily not, well, I think there was two, there was kind of two elements to it that I, I had kind of flagged up to social care prior to giving birth, that there were going to be some physical challenges in some of the tasks and in terms of caring for a new baby, newborn baby. Children's services, <laughs> to a large extent, have been the main of my life because they kind of went down there, oh, well, let's see what kind of pieces of equipment that we could put in place to support you. And I was, what I was saying was, I don't need a piece of equipment to support me I need a human being who can you know who can you know be there at, at different points during the day to support me bathing him and dressing him and putting his nappy on um so that was a little bit of a battle but from from my for me physically because I carried a lot of fluid whilst I was in the latter stages of my pregnancy the fluid descended to my legs had to wear this support. Oh, I was in, it was horrible. It was, when I think about it, when I think about the aftermath of giving birth to Elijah, yeah, so I had um, fluid retention in my legs, had to have support stockings, ended up staying in, excuse me, in the women's for two weeks. Finally got discharged with some support after numerous conversations and emails. Kind of, you know, being a new mom, never having experienced um, being a mom before, it was all a bit like, ooh, <laughs> a bit nerve-wracking. Um, but I kind of, you know, I kind of stumbled, probably not the right word, but kind of, you know, navigated my way through kind of learning how to look after a newborn baby. Then there was the fact that he's got Apert syndrome. And I think in the early... Certainly in the first couple of weeks, I think there was this kind of assumption that because I got the condition that I didn't need to I didn't need to know anything else. And I was kind of like, well, I've got the condition. I know how it impacts on me. But now being a parent of a baby that has the same condition, mm -hmm. I need to kind of know what the process is and who I need to see and you know what what the APER pathway is in terms of surgery. So yeah, I um so Elijah became the care of Birmingham Children's Hospital. And um yeah. He 
I think so he's born in the March, so in the November. First, the first, our oh, first surgery that we had when we were most apert uh, children, uh, because our hands are born like you know, like a mitten kind of, yeah, it's like the two clumps. So the first surgery that we have is to separate our thumb from our first finger because the pincher grip is probably our the most important grip that we have in terms of how we use our hands. So we had that surgery in the September. He had an MRI in the November. That that um, showed told us that his skull was quite sitting quite tightly around his brain and that he would need surgery. Surgery happened at the end in the May of the following year. Unfortunately, he so the, the basically the surgery was to expand his skull. So we had three, I'm going to call them metal screws inserted into his skull, which had to be turned every day to and gradually his skull expanded so the surgery in itself was brilliant and um, it it did what it was supposed to do which was to expand his skull so his brain was able to grow without being restricted unfortunately let's just say the aftercare was pretty dire you can swear it's okay <laughs> oh, okay it, it was it was there yeah, it was horrendous um, it, so basically what happened was he got a uh, an infection on one of the screws. The problem is when we have a foreign body inserted into, our, into us, it's a gateway for infection. At the time, I was naive enough to think that the healthcare system, you know, you, you didn't need to question or challenge a healthcare doctor, be it doctor, consultant or nurse, because they knew best. <laughs> and obviously in some respects they do in other ways they need to be challenged um because you know my belief is as mothers we know you know who knows our children better than we so the one of the screws became infected and it was treated with antibiotics then these screws were removed in the back end of september um I was knew I was never going to be one of these moms that you know when I when I love when our babies woke up in the middle of the night I was never going to I knew I was never going to be one of these moms that would stand by his cot and coo back to sleep. So what generally used to happen is he'd wake up, he'd have a feed, and then he'd get into bed with me, and then wake up the next morning and almost tell me to get out of bed so I used to have to remind him uh, hello there's your bed over there <laughs> um so this particular day I woke you know when you tumble on your pillow and you're lying in bed well I remember thinking oh I've tumbled a lot tonight and I woke up the next day up my pillows were saturated because his head had leaked cerebral fluid um so phoned the children's they said bring him in took him in they were a little bit like oh it looks all right and i'm like mm, i you know the bed was saturated so essentially to cut a long story short his head leaked cerebral fluid for two weeks i took it backwards and forwards to the children's they were pretty poor in terms of how they addressed the problem essentially um, his condition deteriorated uh, throughout the second week. Back, still backwards and forwards to the children's. Took him back in on the Friday, and um, supposed to go down to surgery once he was admitted. Supposed to go down to surgery that night. Didn't. Woke up the next day. Started seizuring. Now, up until that point. Epilepsy, you said to me, tell me about epilepsy. I would have gone, what's that? You need to tell me. I have no clue as to what epilepsy is. Start seizuring. Had seizures throughout the whole of that week. 
needed emergency medication more or less on a daily basis to stop the seizures. The seizures. By the end of the first week, he was just like, he went from a, a baby who was eating orally, loved it, I'm a real foodie, love my food, talk about it, dream about it, fantasise about it, eat it. Um, and, I'm, and I'm talking, you know, I'm talking about, you know, quality, you know, not like a, like a, anyway, uh, don't get me on food because we'll be here all day. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, so he used to eat, you know, loved his food. He used to kind of sway backwards and forwards in his high chair. He used to babble like, I don't know what. He used to get really annoyed if I was talking to him too much and not feeding him quick enough. <laughs> started to crawl um, and climb up furniture. So going from that to then a, a, a baby who essentially was motionless, you know, it was a real shock to the system, as you can imagine. So when you've got, you know, his consultant say, oh, he looks, he looks well today. And I'm like going, mm, I'm a positive woman, but he, he does not, he, there's no, he's not moving. How can you say, anyway. Um, so he had surgery. Obviously, the surgery, you know, you know. By the time they took him down to theatre on that Saturday afternoon, the damage had already been done. You know, our heads are encased in a skull with filled with fluid for a reason. If our brains become exposed, it's it's danger time. So, yeah, so by the time they opened it up, and the other thing about our brains is it acts as one mechanism. So one part becomes infected, it affects the whole brain almost. So he's got catastrophic brain damage, um, which has affected him uh, profoundly. I mean, we now have carers in our life 24-7. Don't get me wrong. You know, having carers in my life to support me or look after Elijah essentially um, is great because not all families have that. But you know, there's no. It's it's kind of like you don't get any privacy. You don't. There's no privacy. Of, you know, if I started porting, we'd have to hire a hire a, hire a hotel. <laughs> <laughs> That's a dream. Anyway, <laughs> um. You know, we'd have to kind of, we wouldn't be able to have sex in the home with carers in carers here. Well, we could, but we wouldn't be able to enjoy it because, well. The whole of the episode, that. I've never had it. But, you know, it's, it's, it's life, it just changes mm. your life completely. It absolutely it, you know, it, it turns your life upside down. You go through all, you know, bitterness, anger, resentment. You know, why? Why did this happen? Why did you let this happen? You go through every emotion that you could possibly go through, you go through. Um. So after a week of him being really critical in hospital and, and having had emergency medication on a daily basis, you know, he got he got rushed out to intensive care. Now, up until this point, nobody had ever said, mentioned brain damage to me. Nobody had ever mentioned death to me. So we get rushed down to intensive care after a week and I'm presented with, you know, he, you know, Elijah is wired to sound in intensive care and I've got lovely Picky consultant saying to me, if he gets worse, he will go die. If he gets, if he pulls through, he's more likely to be brain damaged. Now I'm a single parent, a Christian, no natural family around me. The father of my child, when I became pregnant, was well, his first initial response was, "Are you sure?" Mm-hmm. You know, when you look at somebody and go, uh, "We've had sex. We've had sex for a period of time." Uh, we haven't used we haven't used any contraception. Now we've got a baby. Oh, hello. Anyway, so you know, no. So his family, you know, that 
There was no involvement from him, no involvement from his family. I don't have, well, I say I have, I do have that actual family, they're just in Africa. <laughs> um, church family, but because I, I had a, I'd had a child out of well, wedlock, essentially, they weren't very supportive, unfortunately. So I was kind of like in, in, in intensive care with Elijah going, what the fuck? You know, I've been here, we've been in hospital a week and now I'm only I'm a week down the line. I'm, I'm faced with death or he could be brain damaged. Two consultants came in, I bollocked the pair of them in <laughs> uh, paediatric intensive care because I just thought, really? <laughs> the neurosurgeon who I still love to this day was brilliant, took the bollock in, craniofacial consultant was a wuss as I call it and was really kind of oh you know we have to be, you know we have to work we have to be on the same side and I'm looking at him going it's not your child who's clinging on for his life here anyway um so we spent 10 months in Birmingham Children's Hospital it was to say it was a rocky ride is putting it mildly because as I've already communicated and shared with you you know you go through all kinds of, well, every every emotion that you could possibly think of, I went through. There were times that I would go off on one at the nurses and would then get a cop on and go, and I used to say to them, I, I'm not saying that it's nice being on the back end of my frustration here, but I'm not in a normal situation. Um, I decided to take my child. Um, so 31st of December, I said, 2007, I went, right, I've had, I wouldn't want to live, relive the last three months, but it's New Year's Eve, and I'm just, I'm coming into, I need to go into 2008, and I need to, I need to get my boy rehabilitated as much as is going to be feasible. So that was it. I became a research junkie. I had a, a Prior to Elijah being admitted to hospital, I'd purchased a reconditioned Dell laptop. Oh, it served me well. Because <laughs> I just, you know, just spent hours just researching where can you go, who could treat him, you know, um, where where are we now going to live? Because we were living in a place called Selly Oak in a three-bedroom house, which was obviously no longer suitable for him. And um, so we went... After 10 months of being at Birmingham Children's Hospital, we moved down to a place called the Children's Trust, which essentially is a residential children's home for children and young people with found learning disabilities, but it's also a brain rehabilitation facility as well. So we moved down there in August 2008, and we moved out of there in November 2009. I would say between August 2008 and November 2009, we probably spent half of that time in hospital because Elijah's health was still very fragile. Um, so, yeah, and then we moved. And then the whole, you know, towards kind of July, August time, it was kind of like, okay, what support is Elijah going to need once he moves from the Children's Trust? Where are we going to live? Children's Trust is in Surrey. Really love being a southern bird. So I wanted to stay in Surrey. That wasn't to be. Um, so some fr good friends of mine were moving down from Scotland to pastor a church in Bristol. So I came to their induction service and very much felt God say, oh, this is where I want you. I was a bit like, really? Okay. <laughs> so I moved. If you like say so. <laughs> <laughs> so I did move to Bristol. I moved to Porter's Head. Where we stayed for a year, then we moved to Western for a year, and now we live in Clevedon, and we've been in Clevedon for the last ten years, and I love it in Clevedon. Love it. Love being in the southwest. Would never move back up north. Um. And yeah, it's been a ride. It's been a ride. It's You're telling us, blimey! It's just wow. And I think that's what was important about this episode in particular was we wanted it to focus on how carers become carers like that mm. it's not something that builds up and you you know you can get used to becoming a carer can happen so quickly mm. and the nature of being a carer is so complex and difficult and it's something that we particularly with your story how 
not just how tough it is, but because you're caring for your son as well, you're a mother and a carer. So it's like a double whammy. Mm. Can you talk to us about being Elijah, Elijah's carer and what that means to you on a day-to-day basis? Um, it means you firefighted a lot. So I was really worried. I spent the whole week last week. Now I'm naturally, don't worry, I naturally don't suffer with anxiety, although obviously over the years, um, given what's happened to us as a family, I have had extreme anxiety, but naturally not an anxious person, naturally do not worry at all. And if I do worry or if I do feel anxious, then you go worry. Then so it's quite not right. So the whole of last week I spent worrying because Elijah didn't sleep for four days. Well, there was two whole days where he didn't sleep at all. And then there was two days where he didn't go to sleep till 4 a.m. So I immediately went into this, shit, what's going on? What's happening? You know, is it is, you know, is he deteriorating? Is his body closing down? Is he, you know, is has the brain, you know, is the brain function deteriorating? You know, he wasn't going to the toilet either regularly. So that was a worry. And what I found really frustrating is I, so there's a team of between, I manage a team of between 15 and 19 members of staff. Now you would think that having that many people in my life, I would feel cared for. (laughs) And to a degree, I guess you could say that I am, but I emailed his five, no, actually what I did then was I emailed some of his consultants said, I'm worried about him, worried about him because he hasn't slept, I'm worried about him because he hasn't passed, you know, he hasn't been to the toilet regularly throughout the week. Um, and nobody rushed. So I sent that email out to various consultants. Nobody, well, an epilepsy team rang me up on Friday and actually asked me about, about you know, how what was going on sleep-wise. But there's a sting of that you're constantly having to almost run on adrenaline, I think is the word. Um, And within that, I get my tolerance. Well, I have no tolerance (laughs) when I think about it. But there's this thing of Who really cares, I guess? Who really cares? Who really cares about me as an individual, a woman, a carer? Who really cares about my boy? Bearing in mind, Elijah's got... I must have sent the email out to at least four, five of his healthcare professionals and all five of his nurses. So within the team of carers, there's five nurses. And, you know, not one of, in fact, when I think about the five nurses particularly, you know, there's only one that says, how are you doing? Mm. And so the danger is for me is I'm kind of, I kind of give out, but who gives back to me? I'm like, why should I, if that's the way they're going to be, why should I bother asking about them and how they are and how their family are? I'm a bit like, so I think the other thing about being a carer is we don't get invested in this. This, this we do a full time job, essentially more than a full time job in in many respects because there's no switch off time unless I'm eating food. <laughs> even then, and even then, even when I'm enjoying my food, I still might be thinking, "Oh, what's not going on, Elijah? Is he having a good day at school? What's good? You know, he's going." You know, the carers have taken to an outpatient appointment. He's not come back yet. He's everything all right. Um, so there's still, I might be enjoying, but so, but yeah, so there's that lack of invest, there's that lack of investment. So when I'm talking about, when I say investment, what I mean by that is I'm a full time worker. I don't get any salary. Not that it's about being paid because it isn't because essentially I'm caring for my son, for my flesh and blood. 
But I, I'm not just a mother. You know, the, the other layer on that is I'm a, care, uh, I'm a carer. The other layer to, top, to put on that is I'm a care manager. So I, I manage, I recruit, I employ, I delegate, I line manage, I um, supervise, I, I give them feedback. I, you know, I look at things and go, mm, yeah, you need training or you need or or we need to have a meeting because I might not be happy with your performance. So, so there's not there's a woman there's there's a woman there is a mother there's a carer there's um, a manager then there's the fact that I've got physical disabilities in my own right and how does that get supported. As a, if I was full, if I was a full time, and I'm a business entrepreneur, if I was a full time employee, I would have a line manager. I would have regular supervision. I would have. I would be asked by my line manager, "What training do you want to do?" Or, you know, we 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 can see that you excel in that area, so we want to send you on a six month or twelve month training course. So I don't get any of that. Yet I work. So, so for me. It's kind of like carers, you know, and there's a lot of there's a lot of um, there's a lot of there's shed loads of organisations out there, obviously, who are care who care for carers. But what they what seems to be lacking for me is carers being carers having a life manager, carers having a personal development plan or a coach. Yeah, I love coaches. I think everybody should have a coach in their life. You know, thankfully I've got a coach in my life and I have had a coach in my life, well, it would be four year, five years in August that Tamsin coached me. And I think without Tamsin and without um, investing in myself in terms of personal development, well, in fact, I would say I'm the woman I am today because I've been coached, because I've I've done lots of self-development. And I want other carers out there, you know, and, and there's not that kind of appreciation or recognition for what we do either. So I want carers out there. It's that self, you know, we're in the we're in the month for love. Um <laughs> this but you know February is all about love uh, but I don't know why we designate one day to express mm. our love because you know first of all if we don't love ourselves how can we treat this is my philosophy how can we truly love somebody else you know I pour my love into Elijah because I love myself and because I look after myself because I have to look after myself so for me there's something about when you're all carers out there, you know, I hear a lot of stress, overwhelmed, um, can't cope anymore, battle weary. And I've been there, I've been battle weary, I've been, I've felt and have been overwhelmed, I've been anxious, I've been worried, I've been persecuted as well by professionals. Um, but I think that's all been the making of me because I think things either make you, well, you can either be buried, you know, shit happens to us all, it's the reality of the situation. We can either allow it to bury us or we can go, right, that's happened and it's affected me like it has and I need to journey that and work through how that's impacted on me. But am I going to let it determine where I'm going? Which is why, you know, God, how many years ago? Seven, fifteen, yeah, fourteen, fifteen years ago on New Year's Eve, having experienced the most horrific, horrendous three months. You know, I went right. I can't do anything about that, and it's affecting me like it has. But I now need to. I use the word fix. I need to fix my boy, and and, and give him the opportunity to excel. So now what I have is nearly 17-year-old. The fact that he is 17 is a miracle in itself, given that, you know, he was had a life-limiting prognosis. He has a life-limiting 
a life-limited prognosis. The fact that he's seventeen will be seventeen next month mm. is incredible. Obviously, um, in back in the early days of brain injury, you know, I thought mm, there's not some, there's something quite not right here, so I did pursue a clinical negligence claim, and he did get a payout and, and still gets periodical payouts, which allows us to do things like, you know, in December we went to London. Um, and saw Frozen the musical. He he's like me. He does take out to his mother. So <laughs> he loves hotels. So built a really good relationship with the double tree manager uh, of the Hilton chain, nice. London West End. Pantalus, if you're listening to this, we love you. And we're so <laughs> grateful for your support that you give us every time we go to London. So next month. We go back to London and we're spending two days uh, at, back at the Double Tree. We're going to take him to London Zoo. I'm very much coming to 2023 going, I want to build care, Elijah's Hope, Carers Collective or Coaching for Carers, as I kind of runs off my tongue more than Carers Collective, to be fair. Um, so that other carers, instead of feeling battle weary and frustrated, can feel empowered to, you know, to to self, yeah, self-care and also manage, um, you know, manage their mental health. Because if somebody has a mental health challenge, it's not always that you fully recover from having a mental health prognosis. But, you know, through coaching, you can learn to manage that. Um so, yes, yeah, so I've come into this year very much with uh, I want other, the millions of carers out there. I want them to experience um, and have, a, a, yeah, I want them to be able to, I want them to have, be coached so that they can manage life much more effectively. Mm. I think. Because I think when we're feeling whole and well, you know that has a you know that has an immediate impact on and an effect on those around us. Mm. Um, so that's one thing. I'm really conscientious of the fact that I don't know how long I have with Elijah. I mean, you know, tomorrow's not promised to any of us. It's the reality of the situation. I think I was on BBC Radio Bristol yesterday for the second time in a couple of months. So very exciting. Talking about the strikes and the you know the impact of the strikes that or the impact that it has on us as a family, uh, and what I said is it does heighten my anxiety when the nurses and the ambulance um, ambulance crews go on strike. However, you know if the government are not if you know when we're communicating a message and we're not being heard and listened to, then we've got to communicate that message even more so. So the reason why they keep striking is because they're not being heard and listened to and they're not being responded to. I, I said, and this whole kind of, um, you know, are they putting patients at risk? Well, if your mental health, if you're in the care sector or the health sector and your mental health isn't quite right, then that's no good either. You know, anyway, I digress. So, but yeah, so I've come into this year you know, I want to make a more more of an impact on mm. carers' lives through coaching. I want to be a public speaker. You know, I love. I did a public speaking slot last November down in Cornwall. Loved it every minute of it. I love doing. I love being guests on podcasts and was really <laughs> over the moon when. <laughs> introduced me to you two mm-hmm. uh, and you know I just want to do beautiful things with Elijah you know Beyonce he loves Beyonce yeah. <laughs> <laughs> playing in Cardiff um, in May trying to get a ticket though oh my wow yeah. yeah gold dust oh I got into Ticketmaster this morning I got in and I I reserved four tickets, and then it, this whirly thing started. Oh, the spinning oh, wheel of doom. Mm. And then it was like, oh, your time's up. 
<laughs> like oh. heck it is <laughs> oh I mean Caddy you are the epitome I think of inspiration I think your attitude to your whole life your whole experience and everything that's happened with Elijah is so refreshing because I think there's probably a lot of people out there who like you talk about having that finding being incredibly overwhelmed with becoming a carer and it must impact your mental health quite severely being sort of isolated being not listened to being in that 24 7 mindset it must be exhausting and what you talked about how you you know you spent a lot of time on self-care and how you love yourself so that love travels through you to Elijah I love that but there are probably a lot of people who will listen to this who might be in a similar situation where they are caring for a loved one whether it be a child a parent a relative what would you say to people who are struggling how can people how can people achieve support whether it's mental health support you know actual physical support you know assistance respite care you know how does someone in that situation do that? Log on to my website. Yay! <laughs> There's a plug. There's a plug yeah. in there. I knew there would be. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think coaching, uh, you know, coaching for me, you know, so so carers who, who so carers who are feeling overwhelmed, burnt out, battle weary. I, my my advice would be coaching, you know, psychological support, counselling, counsellors. Not a great, don't get me wrong, counsellors out there, you know, you do a, a phenomenal job. But I think when it comes to unpicking and navigating and 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 being able to, you know, say for example, I'm battle weary, and I say to somebody, I'm feeling battle weary. And they look at me and go, you know, they just nod their head, for example. That's no good. What 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 I need is what's going to help me, what's going to help me get over or recover from being battle weary. So I so you know I think dare I say it, talk to family, but you know, if it's it's for me, I think I think care what carers need or what we need is professional help. I think we need to be able to offload and talk to somebody outside of our immediate situation who has the tools and resources. So as I've already said, it could be a counsellor, psychologist, um, a coach who's outside of that situation who can hear, listen, absorb, and be able to reflect and feed back to you but also give you the tools and the resources to how, how do I stop worrying? How do I stop feeling like I'm banging my head a bit to a bit more? How do I communicate articulately and clearly to professionals without, without displaying anger or frustration, for example? So 10 years ago, you know, if you met me 10 years ago, swore a lot, shouted a lot, screamed a lot. But the problem with that is, that the behaviour gets judged and the message gets lost. Yeah. So it's it's even if something happens, yeah. So it's it's about reaching out to those individuals. Now a carer might say, listening to that, oh well, I don't have the funds to pay for a coach or a psychologist or a counsellor. Then I would say, you know, come to me. <laughs> come to you know, I'm on Facebook, Instagram. Twitter, kind of. <laughs> um, you know, we have a website. Elijah's Hope a website is a bit that needs a bit of work. Well, I'm merging. We've got two websites, although I think Elijah's Hope is not quite functional at the moment. But it's that reaching out. There's also parent forums. You know, there's a parent carer forum in each locality. You know, you know, you know, you could connect with them as well. And there's also, you know, there's, there are a numerous um, kind of pair-related organisations out there that are there to support um, 
parents. Yeah, we'll put all your details out as well. So, yeah, don't worry about, yeah. Coaching for carers is in what I do or what, or mm. what I organise and, and, and facilitate is mm. a group, is a group, you know, process. And, you know, depending on where you're at emotionally will depend on whether a group situation works for you or whether you need one-to-one, more one-to-one support. We'll put all of those details um, on our links and our advertising um, to to all you know all those forms, all those mediums where you can find Caddy. Yeah. But with what you're saying with giving um, carers support, what do you think businesses and organisations could do who have employees who are carers? What could they do better? What could they do? Well, first of all, I think it's about identifying. What employ what 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 out of your out of your employee out of all of your employees, what which of those are carers? Um, I know Carers UK are supporting a, I think it's called a Carers Leave Bill. Um, which I not that I know much about it, but I think a Carers Leave leave bill if it gets through parliament will do is um i think make you know i think it's about ensuring that your your employees are well supported mm-hmm. i think it's about you know if they need time out to care for their loved ones giving them that time out but giving it giving them absence of leave if you like but paid because you know we've got the cost of living crisis, and you know carers, uh, you know we're already under the we're already you know under the cost because of that anyway. Like many other people are out there, but I think if you need if you need to kind of if you need to take a break from work because of your caring role, then doing that paid would be a tremendous support because that will just alleviate um, and reduce financial, the financial worries that come with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's also just about giving your staff space to be able to share as well, you know, in, in when you're in their supervisions, you know, give them, you know, Asking probing questions, well, no, yeah, probing questions. I mean, they might not want to share things with you, but I think if you just ask, sometimes just asking the questions speaks volumes. Because what that does is that says, oh, actually, you're not just my boss, but actually, you genuinely care about my health and well-being and my mental health. I think everything. I mean, we we could. We could literally, Caddy, talk and talk and talk and talk to you for hours. I have got so many more questions, but I'm very, very conscious of time. And I want we offer all of our guests something called the final sip, which is your opportunity to put out there some final thoughts that you want people to listen to. I mean, I'm not joking. I think we'll probably have you back for another episode. But if for now, what's your final sip for people listening? You're not alone. You're not alone. Um, there is support out there. I think, you know, talk therapy is probably the best kind of therapy that you can have. And I think, you know, if you've got health and social social care services in your life, then, you know, and you need support, it's about saying, it's about making a case that, you need support and it needs to be funded. I think um, what you've said today, everything that you've shared with us has been incredible. And we're going to put all of your uh, links, all of your websites and information about both Carers Collective and Elijah's Hope on our website so that people can access that easily. And if there's anyone listening who has access to Beyonce tickets, get in touch with Caddy. (laughs) Man, this girl deserves them. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you so much for sharing your story and talking all about Elijah. He sounds like a wonderful, wonderful human. So thank you. (laughs) Absolutely. Big boobs and blonde hair. I'm I'm in. (laughs) 
Uh, but thanks everyone for listening and tuning in. And if you like what you hear and you want to support us, please uh, nip over to our website, find our support us page and buy us a coffee or a tea. And we'd love to have you back to listen to another episode or check out the back catalogue on Spotify, Apple Music and all other major platforms. So thanks ever so much for listening. Caddy, thank you once again. And we'll catch up with you all very, very soon. Bye. 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 Bye.